This is the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast with your host, Big Bad Boris. Welcome to the latest edition of the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast on the Love Wrestling Podcast Network. My name is Big Bad Boris, and I'm very excited to actually to have somebody on the podcast this week that I've never actually spoken to or met in person before. So this is going to be kind of interesting. He is the proprietor of the amazing WrestleCore promotion uh, out in BC, Cobra Kai. Uh, how the hell are you? Hello. I, I am living my best life in spite of the everything, Bad Boris. How are you, sir? In spite of what? Sorry? In spite of the everything, <laughs> uh, in spite of all, in spite of all the bad things, we're we're focusing on the good things. You got it. You got right it. On. It's a personal mission statement of mine. I like it. I like it. So let's start off by talking about how WrestleCore uh, came to be, and then we'll talk a little bit about your kind of journey in wrestling. Because WrestleCore started off as as a separate promotion, correct? As a different kind of an idea. Yeah, and you know my my journey in wrestling and the you know the kind of creation of WrestleCore go very very hand in hand. So if you, if you like, I can give you, you and the audience a little quick background on that. How's that sound? Of course. All right, cool. So, um, so myself, you know, I, I started wrestling uh, a little over 20 years ago, took my first bumps in Toronto, very quickly learned that I was not the undertaker and I was a smaller <laughs> guy, you know, I'm, I'm like six, two, it was like 210 pounds. So uh, they shipped me off to Mexico city, um, you know, where I learned uh, Lucha Libre and stuff, flipping and backflips and diving out of the ring and all sorts of crazy stuff. I was there for almost a year. Um, and, and back then Lucha was not, uh, you know, recognized as, you know, with the way it is today, it was, you know, people like made fun of me for that for sure. But I'll tell you best training I ever had. I trained under CMLL by Tony Salazar and a handful of other guys initially. And, um, and then when I came back to Canada, the wrestling school that I was the administrator of and partner of not a trainer, uh, we started running wrestling shows called, uh, blood, sweat and ears. And we did, you know, but uh, almost 100 shows, I think, uh, all very, very oh, successful. Wow. We were the ones who put Kristen Cage and Lance Storm in the ring together for the first time uh, on the Indies. First and only time, as far as I know. Hell of a match. Um, you know, we had you know, Monty Brown, P.D. Williams, Chris Saban, Amazing Red, Rhino, you name it. Like, we, it was a star-studded show uh, the whole way through, uh, always with guest headliners. And then I had a real negative experience where I was, do- I was doing a few dark matches for WWE and that kind of thing. And. Uh, you know, had a couple of negative experiences and a couple of injuries and found myself never wanting to wrestle ever again. And, uh, you know, as a walkabout, funny enough, found myself in Edmonton a couple of years later. Um, bumped into Sorry Gary Williams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I lost a bet. I can't. Uh, I can't. Yeah. yeah no, I, I don't. No, I'm joking. Um, I <laughs> hey, I'm, from, I'm from Calgary, so you won't find any arguments for me. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I think I didn't say Alberta that I would have got heat, but um, uh, Gary Williams, awesome wrestler from out east, who mm-hmm. uh, who helped me out a lot when I was starting off, and and you know he goes, "What are you doing here? What are you doing here?" And I never intended to lace up my boots again, but you know he got me in the ring, and, and you know I was wrestling with Johnny Devine and a handful of other guys that were local out there at the time, and I, and I fell back in love with it. Uh, but again, I had such a negative experience running BSC oh, with my partners. I swore I'd never run a show again. Got out to Vancouver, met my beautiful the lady who would become my beautiful and challenging fireball of a wife, Calamity Kate. And and when we started dating, she found out I was Lucha trained and you know, she really likes Lucha Libre wrestling and and asked uh, if we could produce a show together. And, you know, I sort of fought it for a bit, but you know, she twisted my arm and kissed my cheek. And, you know, I'm very happy that we we did it because t- uh, that was the at the time the largest drawing independent wrestling show in Vancouver history is Lucha Libre Spectacular number one. Featuring Puma King, Bestia 666, my legit older brother, Sin Bodhi, 
and Ray Horace and, and a handful of amazing local talent like you know Artemis Spencer and um, you know Cat Power and Nicole Matthews and and uh, Christopher Rizek and a bunch of others I can't, can't even continue to name it. Sonico a bunch of others mm-hmm. but you can you can check WrestleCore.ca if you want the full list <laughs> absolutely yeah and I just started off as these kind of one-off shows uh, with no real intention or plan to do a promotion. And then just as kind of COVID started, you know, uh, Kate and I, you know, who co- we co-produced the shows together. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, we had run about 20 shows that were all sold out, super successful. Um, and we decided to make this thing called WrestleCore, an ongoing brand, which technically only started May 14th of this year. And since then, uh, we put on, I think, six or seven shows. Wildly, we featured guys like Trey Miguel, Red Bestia, 666, uh, Microman, Channing Decker, uh, Funny Bone, a ha- handful of other amazing headliners. Zicky Dice, the outlandish Zicky Dice, who's like one of my personal mantra heroes for sure. Fuck, check him out. He's dope. Um, and of course, our Infinity Champion, Michael Richard Blaze, the founding father and savior of the Clandestine Society. Never heard of him. Yeah, Taryn from County, <laughs> and the, the Redstone guy was Stephen Crow. So, you know, we built a cool little thing here. Um, and it's just getting, can I swear? Absolutely. I swear, can I say crap words? Oh, yeah, yes, it's getting definitely. fucking weirder and weirder and wilder and wilder. And, and the show has just evolved in, in a way that I, I could never have predicted. So on just a quick like side hallway, do you think, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, that uh, especially to people maybe around here who may not be familiar with it, do you think Lucha <laughs> is a kind of a bit of a misunderstood form of wrestling? Well, you know, just like just like when you you go to a uh, you're in public and you bump into a guy who speaks Spanish and you're like, oh, hey, I don't understand what he's saying. Well, I don't expect, you know, a North American wrestler who's only trained in North America to understand Lucha Libre wrestling. The audience there understands it. There's a very different psychology. And, you know, Japan, there's different psychology. In Germany, there's different psychology. The UK, there's different psychology. You know, and, and, you know, to us, it sounds funny, right? But if you've immersed yourself in it and you understand it, you tend to really appreciate it. And nowadays, the world's shrinking as much as it is, as, yeah. uh, you know, travel, internet, all this kind of stuff. All these different styles and psychologies are, are starting to blend together. So, you know, now, you know, Rey Mysterio is not some, you know, random one-off guy. There's a, a lot of guys that move like that. You know, Lindsay Dorado, um, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, Bandito. Tons of guys are in the mainstream, uh, um, you know, Penta, Ray Phoenix. They're in the, the mainstream eye now uh, because of that. So, and, and if you're going to be like an exciting wrestler, like a high-flying or not even high-flying, just like, just like a, not a kick-punch, you know, mm-hmm. wrestler, mm-hmm. like you're going to do stuff. Yeah, you got to know how to take an arm drag. You got to know how to do a hurricane rana. You know, like you have to know lucha libre elements, and you have to do them well because the competition's fierce now. If you don't do it well, you look like you do it badly, and then no one wants to work with you. And like when I first started watching lucha uh, in like the the mid to late nineties, I I was a big tape trader, and the first like before I started researching it just through tapes in it's it's there's a bit of a learning curve just in terms of match structure and and, and I don't know if it's so much now but having like the heel and face referee and the, and the team captains and the two or three falls I was like there's eight pins in this match and it's not over and I don't know what's happening yeah yeah so so different match structures for sure like uh six, six man tags or six person tags I should say are are very common there super common match format because here you know, like an indie show, you know, a really good, solid, independent show runs like once a month or maybe twice a month. You know, the big, big TV shows, you know, WWE, AEW, they run multiple times per week. Mm. But in Mexico City, in Mexico, wrestling Lucha Libre, they feel the same way about it as we feel about hockey here. 
and they're running two, three shows a week in the same venue. And, you know, and they sell it out. They fill up the place every time. We're talking like a big arena, like the Arena Mexico. Yeah. And and they got to keep it interesting. So, you know, these singles matches and stuff like that are just they're honestly boring to the audience. There's not enough going on. Right. So the psychology in Lucha is a lot weirdly more believable and readable than North American pro mm. wrestling, you know, like the chops hurt, you know, so they sell those chops, you know, and, you know, a roll up doesn't, so they don't sell the roll up, you know what I mean? Like yeah. things like that, you know, whereas like North American wrestling is always a bit silly, you know, like there's some psychology, like, like, Oh, if I jump off the top rope, land on a lumpy bony wrestler i feel fine but if i if he moves <laughs> and i and i land on the, the padded mat then all of a sudden i'm destroyed you know so like little things like that we've coached the audience into buying even though it's super unrealistic um and and, and you can see the guys who are lucha influence like rob van dam who you know when he hits that frog splash yeah. there's a human being there underneath him or not that kills him and that's very legit he smokes a lot of weed to cover that up now <laughs> I think he has like his own strain or his own thing that he's selling now, or probably he always seems like he's living his best life. Absolutely, uh, I, I, I think... would love to meet that man one day. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Arena Mexico was the first building that was built strictly for pro wrestling. Am I wrong about that? I've always thought that, but you know what? I think like someone who's not us should fact check that. But yeah. it sounds 100 accurate to me. I'll get Spencer to fact check that for me. So when you Spencer decided... would be a wonderful fact, he, he he would probably know. Yeah, I, I tip my hat to Spencer. I like him very very much. Yeah, Spencer absolutely. and I love wrestling. Just absolutely killing it. I love what they're doing. Yeah, we're we're, ha- we're having a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to the next big event on the twenty fifth. Shameless plug. Um, so you <laughs> you when you got back into, you said you had some bad experiences when you got back into yeah. promoting. Uh, how trepidatious were you about those things happening again? And was there anything that you did to try to make sure those those things didn't happen? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so, you know, I think all of us who, who dedicate, you know, our 10,000 hours to the world of wrestling or anything in particular, you know, first you love it and there's, you see nothing but joy and opportunity, but you know, as, as real life creeps in and you get little obstacles and stuff like that, you start to get, you know, bitter and resentful, you know, like, Oh, oh, I didn't get signed to WWE. Oh, no, boo, boo, boo. Or, or you know, or this guy didn't like me, or that guy stiffed me, or, or whatever. You know, you start to find problems. And and I, I was at a point in my wrestling journey where I just saw nothing but negativity. I just, I was having problem after problem. I, I was starting to really resent what I was putting my body through as well. And I, I just lost all the joy. And, and the things I take joy in, I love training. I love getting in there and showing people stuff. Uh, I love, you know, being in the ring and having the audience, you know, whether they're booing or cheering, like getting that reaction out of them, but all the other like politics and, you know, kissing ass and all that kind of stuff or being nice. Um, that just wasn't for me anymore. You know, it just burned me out too much. And, and I mean, you could ask anyone who's been released from WWE. I don't think, not that I, I was released from WWE. I wasn't even there, but it's a very toxic environment. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mentally and emotionally unhealthy. And that really creeps into a lot of, not these like has-been wrestlers. The has-been wrestlers are actually really nice because they've been there and they they appreciated it. It's the never-was wrestlers mm-hmm. that are the most negative and toxic. You know, these useless, you know, loafs that should should just quit. You know, just go go work at a gas station or something. Get out of the business. You know, they ruin it. And uh, and so to get back into it, you know, I, I really respected Clamby Kate. And I thought, well, you know, she she's really taking joy in this. And a lot of that joy was really infectious to me. And it really got me to be, 
you know, see, seeing the positive things of wrestling again. And, and like I said, I'm so glad we did it. God, a hell of a time. I love that first Lucha show. Uh, as Kate, myself, and, and our third producer, uh, Mr. Chris Steffler from Mercury Artists. Love him. Great team. You know, could be happier. Because I had a and, um, Sorry, I had sorry, a moment. I had a moment like that myself quite a number of years ago where I was started where it's just I had I stepped away for a very short time just because it wasn't fun anymore. And it's just kind of boils <laughs> down to that. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny because like you, you'll find like that the people who matter and the people who go somewhere are gonna be really supportive of you. And you know, they're gonna take time and, and you're gonna feel a kinship with them. And then, and, and whereas the people who never really go anywhere, you know, they just want to be the little, you know, crab in their bucket, you know, those are the ones that are going to cause you the most stress. Hmm. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe, you know, maybe they, they're a little resentful of you or maybe, maybe they just don't like you because you're an unlikable guy. Like I, for me personally, I'm, I'm, I say overall, I'm fairly unlikable once you, you meet me, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's not, and it's fairly by design, I think, you know, and, um, and it's okay. It's okay if people don't like me. You know, that's the cool thing about not being liked. You know, like it doesn't really matter. Nothing. There's no consequence to it. There's a self you know, but, awareness there that a lot of people don't have. <laughs> well, I, 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 I would hate to call myself self aware. I prefer to live in a state of delusion where I think I'm great. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but the, the thing is, like, you know, be a good person, have fun, don't screw anybody over, you know, uh, try to be helpful. And and do this do whether it's wrestling or anything else in your life. Do it for the right reason. Do it do it because you love it. Don't do it because you think you're owed something. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean. So yeah. we're gonna quickly go uh, to your first track. Of course, if you're not familiar with the podcast, I have my guests choose uh, two different songs, uh, any artist, any genre that means something to them or that they like. Because I'm a big music fan as well as a wrestling fan. And you yes. did something that I love, and you picked. Two different songs, just worlds apart from each other, which I think is super yeah. cool. We're going to start off with your first pick, and you picked the king of rock and roll himself, Elvis Presley. The track is called Trouble. Tell me why you picked this one. Well, let me tell you something, Mama. Uh, well, I think like my <laughs> kind of introduction to music was Elvis. My, you know, my God, when I was a little kid, right? I didn't have like you know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have you know Apple Music or whatever. Um, and my first kind of experience with music, I remember my dad would be driving us around. Me and my my brother, who was also a little kid at the time. And Elvis would be on the radio and he loved Elvis and, and just cause it was the first real music I heard. And I think my brother would say the same thing. We love Elvis. And, and when we heard that song trouble, like as like young kids, we we're like, man, that's so cool. Like that was, you know, the, the chorus and so oh, I'm evil. What? Oh, that's so cool. You know? And it just made a big impression on me. I love the look. I love the vibe. I love what it stands for. I, I love I love when Elvis stands for like that rebellious thing, you know that. Yeah, this is like this is badass Elvis. Yeah, punk rock Elvis, right? Why not? Like, so that's that's why. And are you playing the song? Are you actually yeah. to hear it? Oh, no. So so oh. well, I'm, I'm gonna see we're pulling back the curtain now, but I put all the music in in post production. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to your first track right now. This <laughs> is the King. Well, this is Elvis on the Punk and Pod Drivers podcast. If you're looking for trouble. Came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green eyed mountain jack because I'm evil. My middle name is Marie. Yeah, yeah. 
So don't you mess around with me I never looked for trouble But I never ran I don't take no orders No kind of man I'm only made out Flesh, blood and bone But if you're gonna start a rumble Don't you try it all alone Because I'm evil My middle name Well, I'm evil So don't you mess around with me Calamity Kate is not only, you know, a, a wrestler who's you know featured in all the WrestleCore shows among like she's wrestled in Mexico and England and all over the all over the U.S., but she's also a, a very accomplished burlesque dancer. Okay, and you're and starting so to a see lot. a lot more of that in wrestling now. That kind of burlesque and, and drag elements coming into because it's all performance basically. It, very much, you know, a lot of people have said that you know burlesque and, and rep pro wrestling are sort of these analogs of each other. Ones like this you know, character of masculinity and one's this character of like femininity. Hmm. And I don't know how those definitions work today, really. But what I, I can tell you is we're both using our bodies to make money. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and, and her, her stage presence and ability to entertain from, you know, 15 years or whatever it is of burlesque really shines through on her wrestling performance, which she's, she's newer at that, of course. And uh, she's the very first person to do a burlesque number that turned into a pro wrestling match and then back into a pro a burlesque number. And you can find that on the WrestleCore YouTube channel or on the title match network. If you just subscribe to that. But did the funny she, thing, did she sorry, go over? You know what? You'd have to watch the video uh, to find there out. You go. That's See, that way a, I get an extra view, bro. That's a businessman. <laughs> I respect that. So yeah. tell me about some of the things that you're doing in WrestleCore to try to set yourself apart and be a little bit different. I know there's like theme nights. You guys recently just did the horror show. What are you guys trying to do to, to set yourself apart and get some new eyes on you? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, there, there's a million and one nuances to it. Uh, but I, I'd say the main thing that separates it is that we put on a show that we want to see. And when I say we, I'm talking about you know, myself, I'm talking about Clem Kate, I'm talking about Vinny the Voice, the voice of WrestleCore, I'm talking about Mr. Sunshine DJ, our AV guy, I'm talking about Combination 13, our graphic designer, and most importantly, I'm talking about every single wrestler that performs on a WrestleCore show. No one's getting their arm twisted to do a match they didn't want. Uh, the performers, the wrestlers, they, they come to us and they say, hey, I really want to do this, I'm really excited about it. And that's probably the thing that separates us the most is we're not trying to cram anyone into some weird box, say, hey, can you do this? We want you to tell us what you want to do so you're excited about it and therefore get the most out of it. WrestleCore is a platform. Like, There's a lot of talent all over the world. WrestleCore is WrestleCore because it's, it's a platform so people can do what they want, put their best foot forward, get seen by a newer audience. That's what it's here for. 
And if you look at the roster, you'll see uh, you'll see a lot of you'll see like you know f- female main events for you know the very first time ever out here. You know, you'll see uh, uh, you'll see pro wrestlers that. Uh, were only booked at one or two maybe local promotions. Now they're you know traveling all over the place and getting booked at some really mm-hmm. you know high, high level places. And it's not you know because of WrestleCore, but that's what we're trying to help out with. You know, like they're putting in the work. We're just trying to respect that work and and you know utilize it as best, best as possible. So so yeah. is is everybody kind of throwing ideas all at the wall together to see what sticks, like a, a by so, committee sort of thing. Uh, no, sometimes people are like a lot of the wrestlers are actually really, really shy, you know, cause they just, I don't, I don't know why they're just shy and don't really ask for anything. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Last thing you want is me to come up with something for you, for me <laughs> to book something for you. It's, it's probably going to be pretty weird, but, um, you know, I think people are coming out of their shell and they're getting to do more and more of what they want, you know, and overall, you know, like anyone who watches the videos or comes to the live show, like they're not comparing WrestleCore to, you know, any majors, right? Like they're not like a WWE or an AEW or a ring of honor or impact even, you know, it's such a different, and those are like very polished sportsy, you know, well-produced things that our thing is like super punk rock, you know, dirty shot in an alley kind of thing. Super, super guerrilla marketing, guerrilla warfare style, you know, wrestling. And I like that visceral kind of vibe. It makes me feel alive. So, know, even like the local indies, we're not polished like they are, and we have no intention. <laughs> I've seen a lot of local indies that are not polished, so fair enough. <laughs> um, so well, so in yeah. your your I don't know your childhood or when you started watching wrestling, who are some of the the talents that influenced you in your style and maybe even into your booking style? So I, I um, initially, like as like a fan growing up, um, I, I really love things like the British Bulldogs, like uh, Dynamite Kid, Dave Boy Smith as a tag team, the Killer Bees, and you know Brutus Beefcake, Greg the Hammer Valentine's tag team and stuff. I was all about that. I loved like kind of ensemble situations, and and I was a big comic book fan, you know. And I wasn't a Wolverine fan; I was an X Men fan, you know. So I liked those kind of ensemble comics. So I was always liked all the moving parts and the, the good guy, bad guy kind of thing. As I started wrestling, my opinions changed dramatically <laughs> uh, in a major, major way. And, and I very luckily was helped out quite a bit by the people who influenced my wrestling career. So, you know, um, uh, Adam Copeland, Edge, and Jay Riso's Christian and stuff, they were my brother's best friends, my older brother's best friends. And not only did my older brother have a huge hand in how I think and perform in the ring, so did they. You know, and they've gotten in the ring with me and helped me out a ton. Uh, Tony Salazar from CMLL, of course. You know, I feel very lucky to have trained as much as I've trained way more than most people do. Most people train for three, four months and go have a match. I trained for like two years before I had my first match. See, that's something I've noticed with the more people that I've talked to on the podcast is it goes one of those two ways. Either, oh, I I trained for, for, you know, 15 months before I had my first match. And then the other side of the coin is I trained for three months or four months and I had a match on the show. So so I've always found that really interesting. And and sometimes that three or four months works for people and they they do well with the on the job. And other people Mm -hmm. feel comfortable. I need that extra time before I'm comfortable going out there in front of a crowd. Well, you know, Boris, nothing, nothing's universal, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. people have different learning curves exactly to your point there. And I can tell you, I've seen a lot of guys who trained for six weeks who are just phenomenal, came out of the gate. You know, uh, me, on the other hand, I was the guy who didn't get it. You know, I was the, if, I, if like front rolls, like tumbles are a part of your basic training, you know, like doing a roll and, and pretty much anyone can do it. I was the guy who just landed straight on his head, knocked himself out. You're like, mm-hmm. I sucked. And, and then as a trainer, uh, nowadays, when I when I'm coaching someone, I have a ton of patience f- 
for people who, who are struggling with a certain aspect of what we're training on, because I remember how bad I was. And, you know, my trainer, my original trainer was not nice to me and, and, and it didn't help, you know, uh, being mean didn't help. You know, I didn't learn anything from them. I had to learn it on my own. And, and so we try to have like a slightly kinder, gentler trainer, uh, training kind of system, you know, like there's no reason to kill yourself, you know, in training, you know, there's, there's better techniques now. I think that's a bit of a, and maybe I'm completely wrong and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I think that really hard nose training camp kind of thing is maybe a bit of a bygone era. Yeah, I think there, I think there's a lot of like, so, so like, just say like, if, if you have a really abusive parent, you're going to grow up to either duplicate that behavior and be another abusive parent, or you're going to grow up and never lay a finger on your kid and, you know, fight against abuse. Right. So a lot of the current trainers, they got, they had a hard run in their training because you know back back then you know in the time before i was trained um you know it was like a very secretive society and they would be really tough on people to sort of weed out the the people they didn't want to let the secrets go to mm-hmm. nowadays most trainers are begging people to show up you know what i mean um to to run it as a business so it's a much kinder gentler training nowadays um so so if you find you have a trainer who's like really hostile or whatever chances are it's just their own baggage and they're emotionally taking it out on you. Yeah. There's no, there's no benefit to torturing someone. You know what I mean? Like the, no one, no one learns well by being tortured. Now in your training, obviously the, the physical aspect of it was difficult. What about the thought of you getting in front of a crowd? Was that something that was difficult for you too? Or was that maybe more of an easier part of it? Actually? Yeah. So, so uh, one of the reasons why I wear a mask when I perform, because there's nothing intimidating going on underneath that thing. You're so goddamn and, handsome, that's why. <laughs> that's definitely not it. I wish so. <laughs> just became my favorite person on this podcast. That's working. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, so for me, like, there's, I mean, my personality is not a lot different out of the mask than under it. But I will say that it, it does provide me with a confidence because I know it's cool looking. And, and I'll tell you a quick funny story. So, you know, I trained for almost two years and we're talking like five, six days a week, you know, like it was like intense and I knew everything. I knew every move I was going to do. I'd done them a thousand times. I knew how I was going to walk in the ring and punch and kick and battle cry. And I knew every little, little thing. The one thing I never thought about was how the hell I was going to get from the curtain to the ring. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so my very first match, I'm like, oh shit, what do I do? And, or, you know, one of the guys who, who I spent a bit of time with me was Tiger Jeet Singh senior okay. yeah yeah yeah. And, and so so he used to like attack the audience with this like foil it's, it's this, funny you mentioned sword. that because i was flipping through one of my hard drives today and i i, I came across that uh the, the kawasaki dream uh king of the death match tournament so i was actually yeah. looking at tiger jeet singh literally a couple of hours ago it's funny you so, mentioned yeah. him i love that like nice little matrix we live in the matrix coincidence there yeah that's cool well, well, yeah, even even way before that deathmatch stuff, he used to he'd literally chase after people mm-hmm. in the audience, like attack them. It was great, and, and like in Japan and stuff. And so I just I was just so panicked because this beat and the music was about to hit, and I had to jump through that curtain. And that's what I did. I just ran. I basically just attacked people in the audience. And I went through instead of going down the ramp, I I went through the audience, and it got such a good reaction, and I got such good feedback about it from you know my peers and the people I was looking up to, my mentors, that uh, I I just kept it. And whether I was a good guy or a bad guy at any particular show, I would skip the ramp and I just go through the audience every time. And it's a very signature part of who Cobra Kai was, you know, and, and if you're going through social media or whatever, you'll, you'll see more pictures of me in the audience than you will in the ring most of the time. 
and that really works now because every single one of those people in that crowd have a phone to take pictures and videos for. So, you know, the closer you get to the fans, the more they're going to want to capture that moment and share it. And you'll have 47 different angles of your entrance. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I was ever popular to get 47 pictures on the show, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, and the thing is it was different and it worked, but it wasn't really different. I stole it from somebody else and just kind of made it my own. Okay, we're going to uh, go to your second track, and you picked something a little more punk rock friendly. You picked uh, FOD uh, from Green Day. Tell me why you picked this one. So there's this awesome line in wrestling. People say, oh, I burned that bridge, right? Or, or don't burn a bridge, you know, it's when you're trying to be all politicky and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this great line in that song that I love. It says, let's nuke that bridge that we've torched 2,000 times before. And the reason why it's kind of very, like, this is you asked me what music I wanted this is on my mind right now you know if you'd asked me a month from now i probably would have picked a different song you answered really really fast when i asked you to pick songs you like messaged me back like minutes later i was like okay this guy knows what you want i was probably listening to it while i was walking my dogs when you Ah. messaged me that's probably why there you go but um but i would say you know oftentimes in the world of wrestling people can get their feelings a little hurt or maybe don't get along with somebody the truth of the matter is if you did not work with people who at some point or another didn't rub you the wrong way or kind of cross you somehow, you'd never work with anybody. Fair. And I do believe in, you know, yeah, you can nuke that bridge, but I very much believe in second chances. And I, I very much believe that, you know, we all grow and change. And that song just really sort of puts me in that frame of mind. And, you know, I, I love working with new people and I love working with old, with people I know for a long time too. All right. You know, all so right. we've all got a history and let's play that song, brother. Yes, sir. So this is FOD. This is Green Day on the Punk and Potter's podcast. Something's on my mind. It's been for quite some time. It's time I'm on to you. So where's the other face? The face I heard before. Your head trips boring me. Let's do the bridge we torched 2,000 times before This time we'll blast it all to hell I've had this burning in my guts now for so long My belly's aching now to say Stuck down in a rut of dislogic and spot a side of you well hid When it's all said and done It's real and it's been fun But was it all real fun? Let's do the bridge we torched two thousand times before This time we'll blast it all to hell For so long, my belly's aching now to save. 
That was Go. Green Day, the second pick from Cobra Kai on the Punk and Potterman podcast. We are running out of time because I'm a broke-ass broke-ass who can't afford a Zoom subscription. Uh, where do you see Russell Core in the next five years or so? Well, so, you know, he, thanks for asking. Great question. So one thing that's important to me, a lot of wrestling shows just sort of stagnate and just nothing changes about them. They don't go. Maybe the personnel change, but the show itself does not change. I'm super proud of the, the massive effort that everyone involved in Russell Core has put forward. And we will went from these one-off spot shows. We have this killer YouTube channel. We're on Title Match Network now with 2.2 million subs on, on YouTube. We have some huge announcements coming up for 2023, including the biggest independent show that's ever happened in Vancouver. Oh. will be happening in February of 2020. And it'll be announced like mid to end of November. Um, super jacked up about that. You know what I see happening for WrestleCore? I see... I see these amazingly talented people who put in their 10,000 hours of wrestling, like Michael Richard Blaze, like Taryn from Accounting, like Artemis Spencer, like Nicole Matthews, like Cat Power, like Stephen Crow, and Travis Williams, and, and Sebastian Wolf, and Miles DeVille, and I can name, 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 name people. I see them blowing the fuck up so huge in the world of independent wrestling that they're not going to be independent wrestlers much longer. These people are career, these are career people, and... Uh, and the more famous they get and the better they get, the better WrestleCore gets because the, they are WrestleCore. And that's yeah, that's what I see after WrestleCore. Follow us on social media. <laughs> something that I've been thinking about. I uh, for, for Western Canada for years, I've been waiting for it. If you remember a few years ago, the UK got really hot. And these, yes. you know, progress and all those companies who were doing really well. And they started NXT UK. And there was this huge buzz of the UK. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen in Western Canada. Because like you know, there are so many uh, men and women that are just drop dead talented that are not getting the eyes on them that they should. Well, you know, and that's the thing. As a wrestler, you are a part of a show, right? Or a part of a company. And you and, and some some people are so talented, they ride, that whole company rides on their back. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I find that the companies themselves are getting smart. There's smart companies. There's dumb companies. Right? Like I love. There's a, a new promotion that just started up called Boom Wrestling here in Vancouver, and it is so smart to me. I'm just I'm hooked. I love everything they do. Uh, Defy Wrestling south of the border. Mm-hmm. Been yeah. around a lot longer than than I've been running shows here, and just so smart. Totally different. So smart. So well done. These are the shows that are gonna make it's this type of mentality of being considerate wanting to do something having the motivation and ability to follow through with it that are going to blow up the scene and and you know just like the uk blew up i very much believe that we are blown up already and blowing up more and more and more like people i'm getting messages from people on the other side of the continent i'm getting messages from people in europe now wanting to oh. come to WrestleCore. oh fantastic you know yeah so so i mean it's it's happening and and that's that's what we're going to be seeing here. You know, we're going to be a Mecca and flight expenses suck to get out here, yeah. but it's fucking worth it. Like we are going to be that Mecca of just the coolest, smartest shows around. You know, we're, we're going to be leading by example. You're, you're going to see our stuff. Our stuff is already, you already seeing our stuff getting ripped off by other companies. True. And that's very true. As well. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, hey, man, keep ripping it up. Keep coming because this is where it all came from originally. You know yeah, what I mean? There's, there's more where that came from. Uh, give us uh, the, your upcoming dates and your social medias and where we can find all your stuff. Oh, yeah. Thanks, brother. Uh, so shameless plug time. Uh, please follow WrestleCore on you know Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I think Facebook's still a thing. Uh, Twitter's still a thing for now. For now. <laughs> That's you. Uh, YouTube for sure. 
watch the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Watch, watch the YouTube videos. Share them. Comment on them. And not just like weird. Like go to minute nine, nine minutes and twelve seconds where you can see this crotch shot. Like, like actually watch them. You leave your good feedback. We want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and show dates. So I'm very, very stoked to announce the third, possibly final chapter of Destroy Wrestling, one of our flagship shows, will be taking place. Our inaugural, our first show of the year, January twentieth, twenty twenty three, at the historic Rickshaw Theater, which is my favorite venue ever uh that i've ever run in that I, and i go there like for other shows i love it so much um past that we do have a really big announcement coming out uh like i said like mid to end of november and that will be our second show of the year but we're going to be doing some pretty wild things uh january 20th is, is not sold out yet but i think all the seats are sold we might have like five or six seated tickets left uh and then the rest just standing room only so you know don't miss out uh, you know, the first destroy wrestling, we destroyed the world with the end of the world exploding ring death match. Uh, the second destroy wrestling, everyone fought through hell against demons and the devil. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen for destroy three, but I guarantee you never seen anything like it before. It's right going to be absolutely, absolutely wild brother. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking some time to, to hang out with me and, uh, talk to me about WrestleCore and, and what you guys are up to. I hear from, you know, a lot of my friends who go down there and work that it's just fantastic and I've heard nothing but good things about you. So I wish you guys tons and tons of success in the future. You know, one thing that's really important to me is, uh, I always like when the audience leaves the show, I hate it if they can describe what they've seen, <laughs> you know? So it, it's very, very much a one of a kind experience. You just, you can't see it anywhere else. And, and Boris, you ever get a chance to be out here? Come as my guest. Come check it out live. I would. I, I want would you to be speechless to. as well. I would love to. Um, all right, we are going to close out with uh, a. I always pick the final song of, of the episode. We're going to close out with a band called Spanish Love Songs. Uh, this is a track that is called uh, "Funeral," and it is from uh, a, a benefit <laughs> album that they did. Uh, last year, I don't know exactly what they were benefiting. I'm anxiously waiting a new album from these guys. Uh, but in the meantime, this song is called Funeral. I'm not sure what I've got going on for next week. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants. But nonetheless, thank you for checking out the podcast. And hopefully, we will talk to you guys all next week.
Jesus Christ!